I was looking around during worship and I was thinking about how the apostles who wrote the word of God, so many of them, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, when they would write a letter to the churches where they had been, that they had established, you know the word that they use again and again and again? Beloved. Beloved. I was looking around and I was thinking, these are my beloved people, the people that I've served with and worshiped with for so many years. I love you. I love this church. It's so good to see you. I haven't seen some of you in years. But God is faithful. And the same God that has been with us through the years is with us today. And I was thinking of how these, these apostles who wrote these letters, they, they called the churches beloved and they had a word for those churches. And I believe that the Lord has a word for you today. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants you to grow closer to him because he wants you to experience the fullness of his love, the fullness of his mercy, the fullness of his grace. He's not forgotten you. You know, we've been gone for almost five years. In June, it'll be five years that we went and started serving as pastors of Rolling Hills Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. Time flies. For those of us, as we get older, it seems like it flies faster and faster and faster. Some of you who are younger may think, wow, it seems like you've been gone forever. It seems like that to me. And I don't even know for some of you older ones. But God has been faithful every step of the way. Sarah and I and the kids are back in town because we were, well, for one thing, the kids were on spring break this week. For another thing, it's my parents 50th wedding anniversary, and we wanted to come in and celebrate and honor them. My dad had some really wise words about how do you stay married for 50 years, and sometimes wise words can fly right by because you don't recognize how wise they are. And what he said last night as he was talking about it, he said, the way you stay together for 50 years is you just keep going. You just keep going. And you know, that's not just true in marriage. That's true in the faith. That's true in life. That when you just keep going, you can make it. God is, is with us still. He's with us every day. I'm so happy to be here. Um, five years ago, we went to Wichita. And... We went to a congregation that had, it seemed like a lot of people for a church in that area. It seemed like we know that God led us there. We know that God directed our steps. But it hasn't been easy. It seemed like I was there for about two years and I was finally figuring out how to be a pastor of a church because there's a lot of things that nobody could ever tell you until you start to do it. And I was starting to feel like I had it down. <laughs> yeah, right. I was starting to feel like I had it down. And then 2020 hit. I had to learn everything over again. And I, uh, I remember talking to Pastor Brooks, and he said, like, you got about as much experience in this as I do in, in dealing with the 2020 world. But God's been with us through it all, just like he's been with you through it all. We've had struggles. 
You know, I, I went and there was a church of about 70 and I preached and stayed with them through the summer, our first summer there. And all of a sudden we had 60, 55. I had people leave because they said I was too young to be their pastor. I was actually two months older than the pastor they had previously. But people will leave for all kinds of reasons. I've learned that. Pastor Brooks knows that. He told me that. I've learned even more to believe him. <laughs> but uh, so we were there. The church started to dwindle, and, and then 2020 hit. 2020 hit, and we went down to 12 people. 12 people that were coming faithfully. We did our best. We struggled. We tightened our belts. We learned to survive. We learned what things we could cut from the budget and what things we had to, had to maintain. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. You know those desperate prayers that you pray when you don't know how things can work out? When you don't know how can something possibly work when you do the math and you say, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough people. We don't see lives being changed the way that we were hoping that we would see. And we prayed. And we just kept going. We just kept going. We kept doing what God called us to do. We kept standing faithfully in what God called us to do. We established at the church a food pantry similar to what is here. I had a little experience with that. And we started serving people. We were already doing that when we got there. But it's grown to the point where we used to serve 15 families a month. Now we're serving 120, 140 families twice a month, giving them a trunk full of groceries. This little church, and it's starting to grow. It's start, we're starting to see God's grace. And we're starting to see God move. I got out there with the, with the people as we were doing the food pantry, and I placed myself right at the front of the line as they were coming in, handing out the paperwork that they needed to fill out. And I started talking to them. Hi, I'm Pastor Daryl. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. I'm Pastor Daryl. And I'd explain how it works. And if they would talk back to me, I'd invite them to church. I'd pray with them. They started calling me pastor. They started coming to me and calling me with prayer needs. God started answering the prayers that we were praying. They started watching us online because during COVID, we figured out how to get our services online. They started watching us online. They started coming to church. We've grown from 12 to 40. That might not seem like a lot to, to you, but God has done it. And he's not done because he is a miracle-working God. He is a faithful God. He is a God that will be with his people because he loves his people. He is a God that will stand with you when no one else will stand with you. He is a God that will get you through when nothing else seems like it's going to work. He is a God that has not forgotten you. We started a recovery ministry. We've maintained our food pantry. We've, we've, we've started a very strong prayer ministry. Our church is growing. Our church is starting to thrive. Yeah. 
as I was first there, I started praying, God, give me a vision for this church. You know, this is, this is a place you've called me to be. What do you want this church to be? And he showed me the passage in Mark. That's not my text today, but the passage in Mark where Jesus is preaching, teaching in a, in a house full of people. And it's so full that it's elbow to elbow. And these men come in and they want to bring their paralyzed friend for Jesus to heal him. They can't get in. Why? Because the church people won't make room for them. The church people are there because they, they, they presumably want to hear Jesus, but they ain't listening if they're not letting in somebody who needs healing. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so these men, they brought their friend and they went up on the roof and they tore the roof off the place, literally, and lowered their friend down. And what did Jesus do? He looked on him with compassion. He forgave his sins and he healed him. That's what God showed me. And he said, this is a house of love, forgiveness, and healing. It is what you have received and it is what you are here to proclaim. That's what a church is supposed to be. But we can get caught up, and we've done this. This is one, one of the ways that COVID has been a blessing to us is that the people who weren't there to minister are gone. The people who were there to just do things the same old way that they always used to do them, they're gone. And they might come back someday. If they do, I hope God changes their hearts. Because we are here, and I believe this is true for Grace Life and of every church, that we're here to proclaim what we have received. Jesus said, freely I have given to you, freely, you, freely you've received, freely give it. And here's, here's what's happened with us, and this is, this is a, a testimony of, of what's happened at our church. I've started proclaiming love, forgiveness, and healing as, as Jesus has led us. People, other people in the church have caught on to this message, and they're proclaiming it and living it. And do you know what's happening? People are coming in who feel unloved and unforgiven, and broken. People are coming in who don't know God, but they're desperate. They're desperate for something. People are coming in, and it's sometimes the problems that people come in with are more than what we think that we can handle. You ever been there? You ever talked to somebody? Have you ever said, how are you doing to somebody, and they give you a lot more than what you were going for? And you say, I don't even know how to handle this. That's what it feels like sometimes. We have stood and, and we, we said, this is a place of love, forgiveness, and healing. Somebody comes in and says, well, what about my addiction to crack? What about, what about my parents that I haven't talked to in 50 years? What about the schizophrenic thoughts that are happening in my head? Is there, is there healing for that? Is there forgiveness for the things that I've done? Am I ever going to be healed? That's, that's what we're finding. And, and, and you know what? It's overwhelming because I'm just a person and I don't have the answers, but I know the answer, Jesus Christ. And so here's, I'm gonna tell you a story and this is not about me. This is about our Lord. I wasn't sure if I was gonna tell this story today. We were, we were, operating our food pantry one day, and I, I met these wonderful people, a husband and wife, and they, 
they were struggling. And he, he was an addict. Struggling. I started praying with them as they had prayer requests. Talking to them, encouraging them. They learned my name, I learned their names. They came through month after month. One day I get a call. And she tells me her husband has gotten off the wagon again. He's left, he's grabbed the keys, he's driven off with the car. She doesn't know where he is. She tried to stop him, he pushed by her on the way out. And I found myself going over to, 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 to just sit with her and, and, and be a comfort. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do in this situation. This is one of those things where you can't say, oh, it's all gonna be okay. You go and you say, Jesus, I know you're with me. I know your spirit is in me. And if it's true that when they drag me before a court that you're going to give me the words to say, I'm going to trust that you're going to give me the words to say right now. And a lot of what I had to say was nothing. Just sitting there saying, we love you. God loves you. He hasn't forgotten you. Praying. As the day went on, we, we had our food pantry giveaway that evening. And after it was all over, I received a call from, from the wife. And she said, she said, my husband is back. They had been separated. He was staying at, a, at, at an apartment. My husband is back at his apartment. I said, I'll go see him. And I went. He was still high when I got there. He started screaming and crying when he saw me pull up. For all the neighbors to hear, they all poked their heads out to see what was going on. He was screaming, Pastor, Pastor. Crying. Coming down from being high on crack. I said, let's sit down for a little while. We sat down. What's happened? Why are you doing this? He said, I don't know. It's a demon. I said, well, I know what to do about that. And we prayed. We rebuked that demon in Jesus' name. We prayed. He felt better. I was getting ready to leave, and he said, but you know, I got $5, and I can go buy some more. I said, well, we better pray some more. Amen. And we prayed. And that next Sunday, my schedule's pretty busy on Sunday mornings in a small church as a pastor, but I went and picked him up, brought him to church. The next Sunday, I picked him up, brought him to church. Picked him up, brought him to church. Other people started helping get him to church, get him home. His wife started coming to church. I have seen God bring restoration in this family. They are living as husband and wife. He is free from drugs. He is filled with the Holy Ghost. He is serving in the church, both of them together. Why? Why? Because God did not forget them. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget the miracles that God has done. The miracles that God has done. Sometimes I forget them. Because they look different than what I read in the Bible. They don't say thee and thou whenever I tell that story in my own head. But God is still alive faithful, working in this world today. If we will just stand in faith, we will see it. 
There's a story you'll find in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 17, if you want to turn there with me. We're going to read verses 8 through 16. And I, I want to give you a little context before we read the passage. This is, this is, in this time, this is 60 years from the time of King Solomon's death. King Solomon has died, and the kingdom split in two upon his death. There was a, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, the north and the south. They had a civil war, and it split. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom never, never, never had a righteous king. From the first king that they had after, after splitting, they started worshiping idols and, and, and they started turning away from God. This is 60 years down the road from when they first split. And as the Bible goes through, you can read through the book of 1 Kings, and it tells you the names of the kings, and, and there's a, a refrain, almost like a chorus, that comes up, and it says, and this king did more wickedly than all the kings before him. And it reached a point where the land was broken because of the wickedness of the kings. And not just the wickedness of the kings, but the wickedness of the people. They had turned their hearts away from God. And it seemed like nothing was ever going to change. It came to the time where there was a, a king named Ahab. And he had a wife named Jezebel. She was Phoenician from the city, from, from the area of Tyre and Sidon. And she worshipped Baal, a false god, set up altars. And King Ahab worshiped right along with her. And it says that he did more wickedly than all the kings before him. So if the king before him did more wickedly than all the kings before him, and then, and then he did more wickedly than all the kings before him, this is a bad trend to be on. This is an avalanche of wickedness rolling down the hill that's going to kill somebody. And so in the time of Ahab, God raised up a prophet named Elijah to confront the wickedness of King Ahab and of the people of Israel. And Elijah declared, upon the word of the Lord, that there would be no rain in the land. It's going to be a drought. It's going to be a famine. There's a time coming. In other words, the land is going to look just like your souls. It's going to be broken. It's going to be dry. It's going to be desolate. There's going to be no rain. And the land of Israel started to look like the souls of the kings and the people of Israel. He said, there's going to be no rain until I declare it to be so. And that's what happened. You can imagine how Ahab felt about this prophet. So he went and he lived out in the wilderness away from Ahab and Jezebel who wanted to kill him. After he had lived there for a while, we come to the passage. You can, you can go and read it. God did, God did miracles to keep his prophet alive. But we come to the passage that I'm about to read. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. If you'll rise for the reading of God's word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this is Elijah. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there 
to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. My message today is titled, On the Edge of a Miracle. You may be seated. We've all been there. We've all had times in our lives where we did not know how things were going to work out for us. We've had times where maybe it's a, it's a loved one that is lost, turned away from God, and, you, and you're praying that they will find the truth of God once again. Maybe it's in your finances that you've had a time where you didn't know how you were going to pay the rent. You didn't know how you were going to pay the mortgage, how you were going to pay the bills. Maybe you've had a time where everything just seemed like it was going wrong. Can I tell you something today? The same God, the same God, the same God that did this in the time of Elijah is with us today. The same God that loved Elijah so much that he provided for him, let me also say, who loved this poor widow in Zarephath so much that he provided for her. The same God is here today. This is a Pentecostal church. When I'm explaining to somebody what a Pentecostal church is, here's how I always say it. We believe that God does today what the Bible says he did back then. Is that true? We believe that God does today what the Bible says he did back then. It might look different the, the, this day and age, but he still looks after his people. It might sound different. God's never really been hung up on exactly how things look. What he's very hung up on is taking care of his people, keeping us, providing for us. As I was 
preparing this message and praying about it, God was bringing to my mind all the times he's been faithful, even at the church where we are in Wichita, all the times where we thought, maybe we should pack back up, maybe we should pack up and move back to Marietta. Things were good in Marietta. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, you know, and then you move over to that side and you forget to water it. And you find out that maybe the problem was you all along. But sometimes when we face problems in this world, we, we look at where it seems to be going good for everybody else. And also, you know, on Instagram, Facebook, we, we don't present our real selves. I don't show you my messy house. I show you my cute kids. And so you see me on there with my cute kids, and you say, what a great life he has. But the dishes, <laughs> the laundry, the toys in the floor, the Legos that you step on. I don't take pictures of that stuff. I, I might record, we, we might record and do a live stream of our church service, but I don't do a live stream of everything I say after I step on my kids' Legos. Life, life can be tough. And if we're not careful, we'll start, to, we'll start to look at what everybody else has going on and think that it's better than what we got. But can I tell you today that God is there in all of it? Elijah was sent to Zarephath. And I was looking, I was looking at this, you know, you get out your Bible maps and concordance and everything. Zarephath is right smack dab in the middle of Tyre and Sidon in the land of Phoenicia. So he's leaving Israel and going to the land of Phoenicia. And just to remind you, as I was giving you the background of what we we're about to read, there's somebody from Phoenicia that isn't a big fan of Elijah. Jezebel. She came from there. Everybody in Phoenicia worships the, the, the Baals. These false gods that were a thorn in the side for the Israelites. So Elijah is being told by God to go into a place where nobody worships like he does, where nobody believes like he does, where his greatest enemy has a lot of friends and political power, and God says, go there. So he goes. It seems like he's being sent to the wilderness. Can I tell you something? You might feel like you're being sent to the wilderness. But God went there before you. It doesn't seem like the place that God would tell you to go. Why would you send me to Zarephath? Why not Jerusalem where the temple is? Why not the place where all the priests are and all the holy people are? God sent him to Zarephath where his enemy was from and where there were plenty of enemies to go around and not a lot of food to go around because here's another thing. Zarephath, bordering on Israel, was going through the same drought that Israel was going through. The sins of Israel were causing a problem in the nations all around Israel. So there he is, in the wilderness. God says, I'm sending you 
He says, I'm sending you to a widow who will provide for you. Now think about that for a second. She's a widow, a poor widow living in a land of famine. And God says, go to her and she's going to give you everything you need. He must be thinking, she's, she must have inherited a lot of money. She, she must have a pretty good life. And he goes and he sees her and he says, can you fetch me some water? Can you, can you give me some bread? And she says, I can get you the water. But as far as bread, we've got enough to make a small loaf. Me and my son are going to eat it and we're going to die. This is the last that we have. So there he is in the wilderness, and it, it seems like, it seems like nothing is going to work out the way God told him it would work out. God said she would provide for him. God said she would give him what he needed. And she says, no, I can't even provide for myself. You ever been in, the, in that situation where you feel like God's telling you, to go somewhere and do something that's not working out the way that you thought? Maybe you've been in the situation that the widow is in. You might think you have nothing left, just a little oil, a little, a, a little flour. We're going to mix it together and make a little bread. You might think you have nothing left, but God is your true provider. You might think, I only got a few dollars in my bank account. You might think, I might get fired tomorrow. You might think, I got too many mouths to feed, too, too many things have gone wrong. I don't know how in the world this can work out. I don't know how in the world I'm going to survive. You might have had those moments of panic. You might have had those moments of feeling like tearing your hair out because you don't know how you're going to provide for your family, provide for yourself. She says, I'm going to make some bread, we're going to eat, and then I'm going to die. This is the last of it. Sorry, Elijah. You better find somewhere else to go. That's not exactly what she said, but it's kind of, if you read between the lines, that's kind of what she's saying, isn't it? And Elijah says, you go and do what God says. You, you do this, and the flour is not going to run out. The oil is not going to run out. So she did. I think about what I was telling you about when I went to, to sit with this, with this woman whose, whose husband had gone off to use drugs again. I didn't know what I was going to say. God, my supply of wisdom has run out. I, my education has run out. They didn't teach me what, they didn't teach me to do this in school. I've talked to a lot of other pastors and this isn't a common practice among pastors to go and sit with somebody who's high on crack while they're coming down off of their high. But God told me to do it. I said, I'm not going to know what to do, Lord. Doesn't matter. God went with me. When we're faithful to what God has told us, when we're faithful to do what he has called us to do, he goes before us and he provides what we need. 
We get it so wrong when we talk about blessing. When we talk about the blessing of God, we talk about we talk about it like, oh, God has given me so much stuff. I got a nice lazy boy. I can watch TV all day. I got lots of money in my bank account. That's not a blessing. That's a curse if God isn't in the middle of it. Blessing is when God is with you. Because he's the provider. I don't know if you know this, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I don't know if you know this, but God said, let there be light, and there was light. And you're telling me that having nice stuff is more important than having God with you? If you have God with you, he can be your provider each and every day. He can give you what you need. It doesn't mean everything's going to go the way you hope it will go. It means it's going to be better in the long run. It means it's going to work out more so than what you ever thought that it could. If you'll just trust him and in the wise words of my dad, keep going, keep going, keep going. You might think you have nothing left, but God is your provider. She says, I'm going to eat it and die. You might think your life is over. But God says, you're going to live and not die. God has life for his people. Abundant life. What did Jesus say? I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Why are we living as if we are on the verge of death when Christ himself has declared that you are alive? You might be struggling today, but I want to tell you, you're on the edge of a miracle if you'll just keep going. You are not dead. You are not going to die. If you are in Christ, if you put your faith in him, he will get you through. There's a good reward on the other side. I don't know if anybody's ever told you this. <laughs> There's heaven ahead of us if we will keep going. But you know what? Heaven isn't just in the future. It starts right now because heaven is where God is. And if God is with you, then you are walking in his will and in his blessing. It doesn't mean everything's going to look great all the time. Can I tell you something? If things are going wrong in your life, you might need to look at them and say, this is what Jesus said is going to happen. Because he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will have, you will have issues. You're going to have things go wrong. You're going to be called up and brought into court for, for proclaiming the name of Jesus. That's what he said. It's true. It's what his disciples went through. In this world, you will have trouble. But fear not, for I have overcome the world, is what Jesus says. Don't be afraid. You might feel like things have gone wrong in your life. Don't be afraid to trust God because if God is with you, nothing can stand against you. Do not give up. And she says, I'm going to eat it and die. She was so wrong. She was so wrong because, you know why? Because she said, she said, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Remember, he's in Zarephath. He's in the land of his enemy. This is not even a believer that he has come to. This is not even a, a Jew that he's come to, not, not an Israelite. This is a woman in Phoenicia who presumably, if she's just like all the rest of her neighbors, has spent her life worshiping the Baals, the, the false gods that had led the Israelites astray for so many years. 
But God had something to show her. She says, surely as the Lord your God lives, this is all I got left. So she, this, this is the amazing thing. He, he tells her what's going to happen, and it says, she did. She proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. She heard something in his words, and she said, you know what? I'm starving anyway. What have I got to lose? The, the gods I've been worshiping sure haven't done anything for me so far. And so she did what he told her to do. And the oil kept on flowing. The flour kept on coming out of the jar. She'd scoop it out every day. I imagine her looking in it. It might not have even looked full every day. It might have looked like it was the last bit every day. She'd scoop it out. There's some more. Scoop it out. There's some more. She operated in faith, even though she didn't have the knowledge of who God is. She operated in faith and was blessed. And she sure did find out who God is. God is a God who, he, he doesn't want to destroy you. He doesn't want to harm you. He wants you to live. And he gives you the means to live. He's with you. We have life and abundance because he is with us. You might think that you've been living under a curse. This whole land was cursed and I don't know what you think about curses. We talk about generational curses. We talk about, sometimes we talk about it as if it's this big uh, superstitious kind of thing. Can I just say, if the definition of blessing is having God with you, the definition of a curse is walking without God in your life. Now, because God is gracious and kind, he sends his spirit to draw those who know him and those who don't know him. God has not completely forsaken the world, even those who have forsaken him. But when God withdraws his protection and his blessing, you can live under a curse. But God is a God of blessing. You see, Elijah, he was, <laughs> he was going into the wilderness, but God went before him. The presence of God not only went before him, but was with him. And because God was with him, the presence of God became visible and believable to the woman of Zarephath. He brought blessing with him. He brought blessing with him. I don't want you to miss that today. Everywhere we go, those of us who are believers, those of us who have who have the presence of the Spirit in us. Everywhere we go, we bring the life of the Spirit with us. We bring the blessing of God with us. We are not walking under a curse. We are walking in God's blessing. And not only that, but everywhere we go, we bring his blessing with us so we can go to the people in this world that are lost and in the wilderness so we can say, here's some blessing for you. Here's some blessing for you. Come and receive the love, healing, and forgiveness that Jesus has for you. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Again, it doesn't mean that everything goes right. 
Can, can I just, this is a little, a, little, a little side trip. This is for free. Just some free advice. Can I tell you some dumb advice that you have heard in your life? And I've said it myself, so. You, have you ever heard anybody say, don't ever pray for patience? That's dumb advice. Because patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, the reason they say it is because when you pray for patience, God will bring you through adversity. He'll bring you through trouble. But the Bible says that when you go through adversity and trouble, you're blessed and you should be thankful because God is building you, building up your patience. So pray for patience. And then buckle up, baby. Pray for patience. But because we need patience if we're going to be operating in the wilderness. We need patience if we're going to be operating in a place that God brings us to. Because the people of this world are going to try your patience. Amen. Hey, 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 well, that's true. That's a good amen. Let me also say this. You might not amen as loud. The people of this church are going to try your patience. Amen. We need patience. And, and when God is with us, he goes with us and he allows us to be people of blessing to the people that might not be blessing us. Jesus said, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other cheek. Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's good. Awesome. But I say love your enemy and pray for those that persecute you. This is how we become a blessing in a world that is a wilderness. And I'll just say, the public perception of Christians right now is not as people who turn the other cheek. The public perception of Christians right now is not as people who bless those who curse them and pray for their enemies. We try to annihilate our enemies. Don't we? We try to eviscerate them with words. I mean, we even, it's, it's even in the vernacular. I, you, you get online and you see these headlines. Watch so-and-so destroy this person. It just means they're using hateful language to tear somebody down. Yeah. That is not Christ-like. Christ did not call you to be his defender. He's called you to be his disciple. Now, it might mean that sometimes you need to defend your faith. I'm not saying, I'm not saying otherwise. I'm saying you defend it with love, turning the other cheek, serving those who hurt you. Showing love to those that are your enemies. This is our best weapon when we are in the wilderness, when we're in Zarephath, when we're right there between Tyre and Sidon, these wicked cities, and we don't know why God has placed us right in the middle of such a wicked place. Our best defense and our best offense against this kind of place, against the people of this kind of place is to love them. And we find joy in it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are what happens. These are the fruit of the Spirit. It means it's what comes out of us naturally when God is dwelling within us. And guess what? A world that is, in, that is a wilderness, that is a desert, that is starving, guess what it needs? Fruit. God has you where you are for a purpose. 
And that purpose is to take the blessing that he has put on you and bless those around you. In, in Genesis 12, when God called Abraham, what did he say? He said, I will bless you, and through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. This is, this is foundational to who we are. If you are blessed, it's never, never, never just for yourself. You receive it, there's joy in it, there's, there's goodness in it, but it's never just for you. If God has blessed you, he's blessed you to be a blessing to somebody else. If God has loved you, it's so that you can take the love of God and show it to somebody else. We love because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. We love others because he first loved us. The world needs you, church. The world needs you to be walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You might feel like nothing will ever change, but don't give up. You're on the edge of a miracle. You are on the edge of a miracle. I'm going to say it again because some of you think I'm talking to somebody else. You are on the edge of a miracle and you don't even realize it. You might be in a place where you've given up hope. You might be in a place where you say, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know why God has me here. You're on the edge of a miracle. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. You might say, Pastor Daryl, how do you know I'm on the edge of a miracle? How do you know God has a miracle to me? That sounds like spiritual gobbledygook. That sounds like you're talking about my life and you don't know my life. Maybe you did, but you've been gone for a little while. I'll tell you how I know. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Church, you are on the edge of a miracle. If you'll just keep going. If you'll just hold on. If you will just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. It is working to good for you. You don't know how. I don't know how. I don't pretend. I don't pretend that I know how this works, but I have seen it to be true in my life, bit by bit by bit. God works all things to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But I got things going on in my life. I'm going to be honest with you right now. I got things going on in my life that do not seem good. I got things that seem frustrating overwhelming, hurtful. But I stand in the knowledge that God is, is, is working all things to good for me. You know why? Because I love him. I'm called according to his purpose. Let me ask you a question. Do you love him? Do you love him? Are you called according to his purpose? You know what that means? It means that he's saved you. That he's called you his child. If he's called you as his child, he's called you according to his purpose. This gathering today as we come together to worship, God has a purpose in all this today. He loves you. He's called you according to his purpose. So guess what? Keep going. It's working to good. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. 
God is working it for, for good according to his purpose. I think about all the times in scripture that we see that somebody's life changed because of what God did. And musicians can come. I realize I've gone a little bit over. Thank you for staying with me today. God has a purpose for you. There's a woman who had an issue of blood. She, she couldn't stop bleeding for years and years and years. But then she touched Jesus and she was healed. There was a blind man named Bartimaeus sitting by the side of the road. He, see, he thought his life was never going to change and he was always going to sit there begging. But he met Jesus and everything changed. There's a man named, there's a man named Zacchaeus who was a cheater, and he was just locked into that. Everybody expected him to be a cheater. Everybody expected him to always be the worst person that they know. It was a trap. He was in it. He thought he was never going to change, but then he met Jesus. You might think that things are not going to change. You're on the edge of a miracle. Jesus makes a difference. The woman at the well, she thought she was always going to live with the shame of who she had been. The shame of all the times she had been rejected. But then she met Jesus and he said, I have living water for you. Matthew, the tax collector. He thought he was unworthy to be called as a disciple of Jesus. But you know what Jesus said? Follow me. His life changed. Would you stand on your feet with me today?